Will you turn with me just to one verse again? We were on that one verse last week. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. And we could all quote it off by heart. I'm sure we could. Philippians 4, verse 13. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Now, when we read this, again, we looked at it in context. We read it in context that Paul, back in the chapter, is saying in verses 11 and 12. So he says this in verse 13. Notice what he says in verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am. Therewith to be content. And then he says in verse 12. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. In everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Then I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. He's looking back to what has been said before in the chapter here. He's looking back to past experience. For example, he says, I. Now, I see the I in the original text. It's emphatic. As for me, as on my part. Do you know the worst thing you can do? Measure yourself to another Christian. Of course, mark the perfect man, behold the upright. Of all those things, yes, I know. In other words, if God has done it for them, he can do it for you. If God can use them, he can use you. That man and that woman, whether it's this man or anyone else, we're only here as human beings Parless in ourselves, and we're here as human beings. I'm just a man of flesh and blood. But yet, God, I have opened my heart to Him, <clears throat> I've given my life to Him, and so He uses that which is opened and He fills that which has been emptied of all the other things that I used to fill my life with, the things I used to fill my heart with, things I used to fill my every day and daily living with. When I put it away, he fills that, that void. I met a man just outside last night, seen Ian driving past, and some of you would know him, but I'll not mention him. And he's an alcoholic. He was in here one, two Sundays maybe. But he went out and he was away to get alcohol again, walking to the off sales up the street. Stood here outside here yesterday afternoon, late afternoon, talking to him, begging him not to go. I can't, he says. I says, no, you can't. He says, if you give your life wholly to Christ, you can. You can. He'll fill that void which is empty. And he takes that which you think is good, that which you think you need, that which you think it fills your emptiness, which makes you more empty by the end of it. Christ fills that void. So you give yourself to Christ and let him fill that emptiness. And he thanked me and I told him, he says, look, and he was cut around here. And healed up a bit and he tried to slice his own throat in the throes of drink. And I said to him, please don't do that. You're worth more than that. 
I'm not worth anything. I says, no, no, the world can't afford you, I said to him. The world can't afford you. He says, how do you know? I says, because the Bible tells me, what shall the profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? I says, you're worth more than all of this world could ever give. Your soul is more valuable than the whole world. And he gave me a hug. And I could smell the drink of him. And he wasn't washed. And I hugged him back. And I says to him, Jesus loves you. He loves you. And he walked away. And he went on into the off seals. And away he went. You see, the things in your life, Christian, needs. The Holy Spirit puts things in our lives that we know fine rightly. I don't need to give you a list. I don't need to write everything down. I don't need to give you the whole shopping list of, of the things that, that might be pointed out in your life. The Spirit of God points out in your life. The Holy Spirit, he points it out. He points out in my life and ours the things we need to yield, the things we need to stop, the things we need to give over to him. And what happens, but Lord, if I give this over, things that we hold so much desire and love, if I give you this, what am I going to do? Well, it was said this morning, all you need is him. Christ is more than enough. Christ is more than enough. Paul experienced all manner of things and he says, I, as for me. Notice, He says in verse 11, Not that I speak in respect of one, for I have learned. Verse 12, he says, I know both how to be abased. I know how to abound. I am instructed, he says. And then verse 13, I can. I've been through so much, as I said last week, you've come too far to give up now. Listen, God's not finished with you yet. Did you hear that? God, I, I, I talked to a man the other week and he says, God's done with me because of fell. I says, no, he's not done with you because you fell. You're done. You think you're done. But he's not done with you. He loves his own. He loves his children. And you're blood washed and you're blood bought. You're born again this morning. He loves you. He loves you. You're worth more than this world can afford because this world given for your soul would never pay for it. It took heaven to come down in the person of Christ and the Son of God and to pour out his life on the death that he may redeem you, that he may ransom you, that he may buy you back so you are loved this morning. You're precious in his eyes and you're his. Notice Paul says emphatically, I have learned. I, uh, as I said, is emphatic on my part. I'm, The problem with many Christians is I can't do what she does and I can't do what he does or I can do it a little but not as well. Oh, I want to say something to you in CET. Have you heard me singing and playing? It's woeful, but I do it. You know why? Because I do it unto him. I'm not doing it to match up to other people. I'm not doing it to match up to someone else. The part, the body is different. Every part of the body is different. I got a, I'll be careful here. Let's just say I was in touch with somebody yesterday. They got in touch with me because some brother kept running them down, saying they weren't good enough. They weren't good enough. 
This man's out in the streets witnessing for Christ. And this man keeps hammering him. You're just not up to scratch. I said, walk before God, brother. You're a part of the body of Christ. You walk before God. And your walk with him is personal. Don't match up to someone else nor live up to their standard, but rather go by the word of God, the leading of the spirit, and you'll see how Christ will use you. Same for you, sister. Same for you. When it all boils down to it, we're all sinners saved by sovereign grace. Every one of us. Yet when it all comes to it, we're all seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Isn't that fantastic? To know that. Notice, so Paul says emphatically, I. Notice, I have learned. Now this term, I have learned, I've mentioned this before, but I'm doing this to run into somewhere. Notice he says, it means I have to come, I have come to learn. In other words, Paul has had experience. I've come to learn through experiences, through circumstances, through my walk with God. He's learned things that he had never known before. And the Christian who says, the believer, the theologian who says they know it all, realize they don't know it all. In fact, I wonder about them. I'd say, you know nothing then. You know nothing. Notice what he says here. I have learned. It means I have learned. It means to enter into a new condition. That's what it means in the original text. As for me, and listen, brother, don't think of the person, sister, the person before you, behind you, beside you, left hand, right hand, or who aren't here today, or whatever, or someone who's been at you, or getting at you. Listen, we're talking about, you say, as for me, Lord, on my part, show me what I need to do to draw close to you, to walk right before you, to be near you. He says, I have learned to enter into a new condition, it means. The, the, the apostle then goes on, in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Again, I am. Whatever I'm like, whatever the condition, I'm content. Now let me give you an example. I'll sit in the end of this wee chair here. Here's what most people think contentment is. Let's just sit here. Everything's going to... Well, that's life's drawing me this. End of story. Given up. That's it. I'll just accept it all, Lord. It's not content here. It's not what the word means. It means, Paul says, as for me, I've learned that whatever condition, whatever circumstance comes into my life, my home, my walk with God, I become the master of that situation. I'm, I master it. How do, you, how do you master it, Paul? You learn from the last experience and you rely on the God who's brought you through before. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. I have learned, he says, I have learned to enter into a new condition. Look at verse 12. I know how to... Be, be abased and I know how to abound in everywhere and in all things in everywhere and in all things I am instructed I see the term I am instructed would you say I am instructed, I am instructed. so Paul and Phatic says for me I have been instructed this was the apostle needs learning and instruction and so do we and the term here I am instructed 
it's more than just to learn something. It gives the idea to learn a secret. We all like to know we secrets, don't we? I've come to learn a secret, to enter into a new condition, to master every situation. Does that mean you don't feel pain? No. Does that mean you don't mourn? No. Does that mean you aren't hurt? You don't hurt? No. It doesn't mean all of those. It means in all of those, you can do all things through Christ. You can get over this through the grace of God and you through Christ in your life. And it gives the idea, I have learned, or I am instructed, pardon me. It means I've learned a secret and he's learned a secret everywhere and in all things. What is it? I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, to abound and to suffer need. I know how to suffer need. So the idea here, what Paul has given us is, is you can read it when you go home. It's in the book of Genesis, chapter 41. Uh, there's an example there. Do you remember Joseph um, interprets Pharaoh's dreams? Do you remember there was seven fat cows come out of the, the river? The cane, as it said, the cattle. And then seven thin ones come out, remember? And the thin eat the fat ones, remember? The well-favored ones, he said. So there's seven well-favored cane or cattle. And then there's seven thin ones come out. Seven uh, uh, well-favored ones was the years of plenty in Egypt, remember? And so he tells Pharaoh, there's going to be a famine with the seven lean ones. Gather into your storehouse while you can. Build yourself up, Pharaoh. Build Egypt up. Because there's going to come seven years. And in that which you've built up, with that experience of plenty and well-favoredness, you'll be able to get through the famine. Paul is referring to a similar thing here. When I things are go, going good, as it were, when God is close to me, when there's blessing, when there's no persecution, when I'm able, he says, I feed and I feed my soul. I feed my faith. I feed and I feed till I'm full of the word and the spirit. Why? Because there'll come a time when you'll need to see, because it's in those times you're going to see different things when you're being fed. It's not, I'm going to feed and go and do my own thing. It's not in the good time, I'm going, to, I'm going to run about and I'm not. When God blesses me in my home, house and family, marriage, whatever it may be, my job, blah, 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 things are going well. And so we forget the house of God and we disappear or we go somewhere else or we don't go into our place of study and we don't go into the place of prayer. We forget God, but when the famine comes, you're saying, oh, where's the food? Isn't that right? We're all the same, aren't we? To some degree or other. Paul says, no, I will feed and I will feed. In the good times, I will praise you. In the good times, I will worship you. In the good times, I'll be in the fellowship. In the good times, I'm not going to forget the Lord, as he said to Israel going into, into Canaan land. Don't forget me, he says. I've blessed you, don't forget me. And in the times of mountaintop, we forget him. But in the time of valley, we look for him. Paul says, on the mountaintop, I'm going to still seek his face. 
I'm going to give thanks for his goodness. I'm going to give thanks for his grace. I'm going to give thanks for his blessing. I'm going to tell him what he means to me, how I think of him. I'm going to study his word. I'm going to be in the place of worship and prayer. I'm going to be fellowshipping with the saints. I'm going to be feeding my soul with all good things, not saying, well, things are going well. I don't need you anymore, God. Does it make sense to you? Paul is given the idea of the seven uh, well-favored Kine, cattle, or cows. And when we know we're well favored, we can breathe easy. When we know from God we're well favored, we start to feel the fullness of it and the relief of it and the blessing of it. And when we know we're well favored, well, sure, we can take our, you know, God loves me, so we can take or leave it. No. Paul says, Because you love me, because you love me, because you have blessed me. Because of it, Lord. Because of who you are, really. I'm going to still pursue after you. And I'm going to give you thanks every day. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to worship you. Work can bring us away. God blesses us with a job. God blesses us with maybe a promotion. And suddenly the work load comes on us and God suddenly drifts away somewhere else. Brother, sister, I'm trying to minister to you. Does it sound familiar? Sounds familiar to all of us at some point, doesn't it? And notice what he says here. He says, I've learned the secret. That's the secret. In the good times, as it were. Drink, eat of the blessing. You're well favored. And your soul, as it were, is fat and flourishing. But there's going to come a time when there's going to be a famine as it were, a famine of maybe trouble, or whether it be trouble or strife or hurt or heartache or mourning or hardship or illness or whatever it may be. And he says, but in that I'll know the blessing of my God is still on me for he's the one who's filled me, equipped me and enabled me, <coughs> give me the unction to be able to go on in him. Does that make sense to you? Right. We should praise God with the same fervor We should worship God with the same passion. We should cry unto him and pray unto him with the same desire as we did on the mountaintop as we did when we were in the valley. Does that make sense? Your soul to flourish. Don't forget him. Don't forget him. Paul says, I've learned this secret. The God who's done it before is the God who can do it again. The God who was with me there is with me now. And it's not in who I am. It's not in what I can do, nor who I can become of my own self. He says, I've learned the secret. And he enters in and he says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. So Paul's sufficiency is of Christ. So in context, as I said last week, you can't jump out of an airplane without a part. Well, you can, as we said, but you're, 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 you'll, you'll maybe not have a second go, take it like that. Nor scuba dive 50, 100 foot underwater for an hour without, a, without your breathing apparatus. So it's in context we say this. In the context that we can. It's brother, sister, this morning you say, I can't. I can't. You're in your lean time. You're in your famine time. 
you're in your hard time, but nevertheless, listen, you're still loved and you're still blessed. You're still, as it were, highly favoured. There's graces upon you, in other words. And I'm not saying that as a cliche, but that's true. Because it's, your condition does not uh, deter God from loving you. It doesn't change how he thinks about you. Nor his love for you. Will you turn with me to Numbers 22? We're going to go a little bit of a, of a different route here for a minute. Numbers chapter 22. We've looked at I can't, I can. I want to look at a couple of I can'ts if, just for the next few moments. I may do, I'll see, I may be doing part three. I've enough here to do about ten parts. I just wrote it. Well, let's go to Numbers 22. Now, we're not going to obviously go through these because it would be too much to, to read. But let's just read a couple of verses at the start. And the children of Israel set forward and pitched in the plains of Moab on this side of Jordan by Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw that all Israel, what all Israel had done to the Amorites and the Moabite was so afraid of the people because they were many and Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. Notice, children of Israel come into the lands of Moab. Balak is the king. He doesn't want Israel there because he's heard God is with them. He's afraid of what they'll do to him. So the story goes, he goes to Balaam. Now, Balaam would be worthy of a study on its own. We'll do it some other time. Balaam was this seer, soothsayer, whatever he would be. Some call him a prophet. And, and Balaam is mentioned in, in the little epistle of Jude. He's mentioned in Second Peter. He's mentioned in Revelation chapter 2 by John as well. And of course here in the book of Numbers, the next three chapters uh, in consecutive order. Balak says to Balaam, I want you to curse Israel for me. I want you to curse God's people. God's with them. God's blessing them. I want you to curse them. Now, let's just let your eye run down just for time's sake. Verse 8. And he said unto them, Lord, hear this night, and I will bring you word again as the Lord shall speak unto me. And the princes of Moab abode with Balaam. And God came unto Balaam and said, said, What men are these with thee? Now, does God know who those men are? Does God know his company? Of course he does. Of course he does. Does God know your company? Of course he does. And what you're going to find here is with Balak coming to Balaam and others around there, what will happen is we can't read it. Read those chapters and you go home. With him trying to put a curse, he tries to put a curse on Israel. And God says, do you know what sort of people, Balaam, that they are? Isn't it strange how even enemies will join together whenever they want to attack you? Isn't that true? Think of Herod with Annas and Caiaphas and the high priest. With Pontius Pilate getting together the night of the arrest, the betrayal of Christ. And it's strange how the enemy comes into unity to attack that which God is blessing. It's the old saying, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. 
Isn't that right? And they get together that night before to crucify Christ. And it's strange how they will come out of the woodwork to try and curse you, as it were. Come out of the woodwork to do that. And so what happens is we all get annoyed and we all get worried and we all get anxious and we all get afraid and we all get upset and all of these things. Oh, there's going to be a curse on us. Now, I want to bring you somewhere here before, I, uh, before the end of this service because I want to look at a spiritual element in something here. Verse 12, And God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them. And thou shalt not curse the people, for they are, what does it say? They're blessed. And Balaam rose up in the morning and, and said to the princes of Balak, Get down, get you into your land, pardon me, for the Lord refuseth to give me leave to go with you. And the princes of Moab arose and they went to Balak and said, Balaam refuseth to come with us. And Balak sent yet again princes more and more honorable than they, and they came to Balaam. And said unto him, Thus saith Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing, I pray thee, hinder thee from coming to me. For I will promote thee. Notice, I will promote thee unto every great honor, and I will do whatsoever thou sayest unto me. Come therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people. And Balaam answered and said unto the servants of Balak, If Balak would give me his, full, his house full of silver and gold, notice, here's a cannot, I cannot Go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. I can't. Okay. Will you go with me to chapter 23? So this goes back and forward. I haven't time to go into it. Goes back and forward. And let your eye run down to verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall it not make good? Behold, I have received commandment to bless, and he hath blessed, and I, what is it? Cannot reverse it. So we cannot go, I can't. I can't, and then it's, I can do all things through Christ. But there's things in the parameter that we cannot do. We cannot go outside the word of God. We cannot curse that which God has blessed. (laughs) And then, if you will, look at verse 23. Surely there is no enchantment. Notice, there's no enchantment against Jacob. Neither is there any divination against Israel. According to his time, It shall be said of Jacob and of Israel, what hath God wrought? In other words, no matter what the divination, no matter what the enchantment, no matter what the spell, no matter what the demon, no matter what the devil, no matter what the cursing is, he says, if God is working for you, with you, in you and through you, you're blessed and there's nothing I can do about it. I think I've told you this story before. I'll tell you it again because there may be few who haven't heard it. 2012, we had this big tent. Held a thousand people. We had a church of, at that time of about 40, 50 people. And we weren't meant to get that tent. We were meant to get a 200-seater tent and it was borrowed, being borrowed from the army and it was coming over from Cyprus and the army drove a tank over the top of it by accident. There's no one in it, thankfully. 
So we, we had no money and we went out in faith. And to get this tent and equipment, people started just helping out and it cost £15,000 for three days. Powerful, lovely wooden floors, you know, suspended and real big. It's the only thing we could get at the last minute, thousand-seater. How are we ever going to fill this? We borrowed chairs from different schools around the area. We had 850 chairs out, and there was a little part over here that was turned into a place for supper afterwards. There was 850 chairs out, and we had a Friday night, all day Saturday, and then we had a Sunday night. Sunday night coming, we decided we're going to have a a service. It's quite obvious we're, we're at that. And we thought, well, there'll be a little corner group of us here and maybe some will join us for an after-church healing service. And we got there that night and the 850 chairs were filled. And people were saved. So we thought, right, we'll break this meeting and we're going to start again with a healing service. So I thought most of the people will go and maybe, I don't know, I forgot maybe 100 to stay. Some people started to leave, and all of a sudden, others started to come, and they filled the house again. So we worshipped the Lord, and we taught on the scriptures and healing. We were praying, and there was a big line of people from all walks of life. It's a woman from a Baptist church with a bad heart, and they couldn't regulate her heart. And there was a woman two rows back. And we're standing here, nobody in the front row, and a woman two rows back with the same heart condition, didn't know the leader. We prayed for her, and the two of them were healed at the same time. This woman was a Baptist from Newton Arts. We go along, there's a wee boy there in the family, and and he had a wee bit of a turn in his foot like that, and he was kicking himself and tripping up, and he was going for an operation to have his leg broke to be straightened out. I got down, put my hands on his feet, prayed for him, didn't seem any big thing. His leg had straightened and he's still running about today. Didn't need an operation. And his sister was prayed, had 26 asthma attacks in one year in hospital almost every time. And she still hasn't had any. God was really moving mightily. There's a real anointing in the house, a real blessing there. And what I didn't know, that was on the the Sunday night, on the Tuesday night, this man came in with his estranged daughter. He actually didn't know she had existed all her life. And shortly before they had found out she was in England, she had come over and he had brought her to the tent. I didn't know this. And I could see a couple of rows back there. This is where there's 850 people and I'm walking up and down a platform we had built like this and preaching the word. And through a couple of rows, I, could, I was aware of a couple of eyes like this. You're the piercing. I thought, she'll know me again. <laughs> Kept on preaching. That Tuesday night, what I didn't know, we finished the Bible study and there's myself and another fellow just going to go out the doors. And this man pulls up to the door of the church and he walks in with this with his daughter. She was an adult now. Uh, A young woman. And she was, sat down and started telling us her story. And I'll never forget her fingernails were pointed, long and pointed, painted black. 
and her hair was black and long. And I remember her eyes were like black pools. Pools of black ink. And she stood before me and she says, I need your help. And her dad was there. I says, how can I help you? She says, I was at the, church, or at the tent on Sunday night. I says, I remember you. Because I remember her face. She says, I'm a witch. And I was cursing you. I says, I thought so. You were looking at me and didn't know, didn't know why you fancied me or not. I didn't say that. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> Allison, I'm joking, love. I says, I've seen you looking. She says, I was cursing you, trying to throw a hex in you the whole time. Cursing you, cursing you. And I says, what happened? She says, every time I went to curse you, it was bouncing back at me. She says, I couldn't do it. I says, look, it's nothing of me, dear. I'll tell you why you couldn't do it. I says, because you can't curse what God has blessed. You can't curse what God has blessed. And I told her about the blood of Christ told her about the blood of the lamb and the more we talked the more agitated she got she says I've been like this she was starting to shake and grind her teeth she was going I'm getting like this from Sunday night she was raging up and she was really nice when she first came in she started getting angry and cross never forget it I says there's a spirit in you needs to leave I says you're leaving now we didn't pray with her we just told the spirit to go Oh boy, did she not? Well, they did not like it. She writhed on the bench. Was a, there were pews. She was bending back over. Her eyes were like pools of ink. And she started uh, saliva. I was going to say slobber, but I mean something different over here. It wasn't foam, it was like saliva and comma. And she was, oh, it was angry. It just says, far alone. You're going. She grabbed hold of it. I thought she was going to, it was a good heavy oak, so I'm sure it was going to be all right, but I thought she was going to tear the back of the next period, clawing at it. I just went, in Jesus' name, leave her alone. Now leave her. Suddenly, her eyes became a nice blue colour. And she was seeing Sitting beside us like the Monica Dara, clothed and in her right mind. Never forget it. Now here's the thing. She took a Bible, put it under her arm. She has to come back to England tomorrow. And I'm going to tell everybody that I know about this Jesus, what he's done for me. You see, she was trying to throw a curse and a hex on me. And I know we need prayer. And I know we need to be covered in the blood. But I can tell you something, brother, sister. You can't curse what God has blessed. And you can't bless what God has cursed either. Balaam found that out. I want to say this before I close because of so much. I went off here on a different tangent. I'm not go back there. I want to say this and I want to say it. I want you to hear it, especially you younger people. I want you to hear this. 
Pastor and I met with someone during the week. They were telling us of an experience of a relative with a black demonic spirit, right? Hooded like a hood. Do you remember? I said to him, I've met him. I've met him. On different occasions. So, before I was saved, and this is important because I want you to hear the danger the soul is in. All you young people from the back, especially, all of these right the whole way up, I want you just to listen to me. I want you just to listen. This might be frightening, but I want you to listen. Balaam here could have went and done exactly what Balak says because he was going to get plenty out of it. And it was what the world was to offer. Your house full of silver and gold and all those things. Now listen, I went with that. I did that. And one night I lay in a bed with this figure comes in to lift me out of myself to take me to hell. Now you're listening. This is real. Pulled me right out of myself. The fear, the dread. I can't express it to you. It was hell. It was hell. I didn't know the Lord, and I called in His name, and it let me go. Actually, it didn't call His name. Just said, "Oh God, help me." On the night that I got saved. Showed himself completely to me. Right? People can say, your head's away a bit. That's okay. But I can tell you now, I've seen him since that. And I was lying on a floor with cushions on the floor because I had nowhere to live. With my face in to the settee. It was in the middle of the night. And I just got saved that night. at my back this big figure I couldn't reach up stood towering over me like this I was petrified and I was saved that night I was, I was already saved I could save that a few hours before now it came to me now you listening The fear of that alone, let alone what the fear of the wrath of God would be like, stood over me. And I was petrified. Now here's what I believe. It was testing to see where I was with Christ. You see, that night I'd heard of the blood that Jesus shed. I'd heard of his Dying cries for me. That night I'd heard of what he had done on the cross for me. And I'd heard of his resurrection again. And I called on his name. And I was saved. 
But I believe that night he came to see, did I mean it? Was it real? Now listen, brothers and sisters, listen, friend, or whatever your religious status may be, young people especially, do you know him? Where is he in your life? Is he real to you? Is it just a Sunday thing? Is he real to you? Is he really your saviour? Has he really paid your debt? Have you really come under the blood? Do you really belong to him? Are you really in his hands? Is he really yours? Or what if that thing came to you this day? Would he be able to take you to hell? Came and he stood over like this. Oh, the fear. I can't describe it. Petrified. Just a newborn babe in Christ. Now, I could say I'm running quick to go to my mates and go out for the drink and go back on the drugs and do all. I, I, I was saved from all of that, but I was only saved ours. And I could have said all of that. But I knew that there was a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And see that night? I remember lying with my face into the bed, or into the, the settee, sorry. And I remember going like this and grabbing hold under the settee. I remember in fear saying, you see this right up over? Jesus, I meant it. Jesus knew if I meant it or not. Jesus knew if I was his. Who are these men with you, Balaam? He knows who they are, but he wanted you to realize it. Balaam, do you realize the men you're running around with? Do you realize the men that's come beside you? Do you realize what's in their heart? Do you realize the company you're keeping? Do you realize the things that they're saying? Do you realize it's ungodly? Do you realize who these men are? Young person, do you realize they'll bring you to hell? Do you realize they'll bring you to hell? Do you realize uh, they'll be your friend and they'll offer you the house of Balak, they'll offer you the gold and the silver, the devil tried it with Christ in the wilderness. Do you realize that they'll offer you all the pleasures of the world and all the fun and all the things of it, but it'll bring you to a devil's hell? Jesus, I meant it. He knew I meant it. Tell you why I meant it. Why I meant it? Because I had no one else. I had nothing else. I just had to leave myself at his mercy. And his mercy was enough to love me. Save me. See when I said I meant it. Jesus, you know I meant it. That was it. That was it. I'll tell you when he came again. I was pastoring in Dublin. He came to me in a dream. He lifted me up. It's like a door was here and I walked out and say, all you people were here. But it wasn't the Dublin church. And this spirit flowing with the hood lifted me up. Fighting with him. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, against principalities and powers, we're told. And I think he run me through the wall and I ended up in a cavern underground and I couldn't see but the ground and there's flames flickering up and the screams of hell, the lake of fire. Heard it. And I come out of my sleep. There's a whole story, but I come out of my sleep sweating. I mean, soaking my sweat. 
could hardly breathe, no strength. And all I heard was the voice say, what about your children next door? And in the next room, Jody had such a piercing scream out of her at that moment. And Alison jumped up, knew nothing about it, ran in, sat with the child, and she came in and says, Ken, there's something here, I felt it. I felt it. It was him. I'm going to tell you something else. I was here one Sunday morning. The lady's not here this morning. And she's not a wacko sort of a person that you think of. Sane, sensible, beautiful lady. And she says, Pastor, you come up to preach the word. And right behind here, before you were standing there, Billy, it wasn't you. <laughs> there came a dark figure right behind you as if it was to attack you. But an angel of light stood in. You said the blood, boom, and away it went. I didn't see it. She said it to me. I says, what did he look like? Tall with a big cloak, like a flowing spirit. I says, I know him. I'm not afraid of him. Because you can't curse what God has blessed. All men can try. Men can throw it at you and hurt you. Destroy you and try and bring your character down. That's all right. No. Listen, I'm not worried about men. It's this way I'm worried about. I'm concerned with my walk with him. You cannot curse what God has blessed. I think I'll do one more. One more Sunday in this. You can't curse you can't bless what God has cursed. How do I know I'm blessed of God? Are you saved? You ask yourself and you answer yourself. I'm not saying, are you churchy? Are you religious? I'm saying, are you saved? I mean saved. I got a wee message through this morning from someone I knew. And their wee young daughter just suddenly died last night. She's just their teens. But older than my oldest one. Young person, are you saved? Send it to my own children. Are you saved? Are you saved? Are you all saved? Older person, are you saved? Child of God, are you messing about with the things of God? Have you forgotten him who's blessing you? He's blessed you. Are you saved? How do I know if I'm blessed? If you're under the blood, you're blessed. If you're saved, you're blessed. In Ephesians 1, Paul tells us that he hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. May God bless his word to all of our hearts this morning in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen.
God bless us this morning.